Take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, I want to continue on the sermon series we've been in. This is the conclusion. It comes to the end of the passage. <clears throat> I, I don't know about for you, for me, it's been a it's been a, a tremendous opportunity for me to be able to sit down at the feet of God's Word and learn about the resurrection and the power of it and the application of it. And all of these have been trying to be application, none more so than this one. This this passage ends with great application. So but we don't need to skip over to the application. We don't need to run to the application and forget or leave out the foundation for the application. Paul gives us a sturdy foundation to apply what he's been teaching about the resurrection. What we've been talking about, about the resurrection. So we're in 1 Corinthians 15, and we're looking at verses 50 through 58. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, speaking about death, but we shall all be changed, whether we're dead or alive. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the batting of an eye, The eye is the quickest mover in the body. You don't even perceive it. You're blinking right now. You don't even know it. That's what Paul says. In, the, in that moment, in the twinkling, in the, in the jerk, in the movement of the eye, we, when that trumpet sounds, the trumpet will sound in the twinkling of an eye. The dead will be raised imperishable at the same twinkling of an eye. And we all will be changed in that same moment. In the twinkling of an eye. The jerk of an eye. For this perishable body must put on imperishable. And this mortal body put on uh, immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death! Where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. There's a sense of climax. Do you feel it in the passage? He's been laboring for 49 verses. He's dealt with all their frivolous sometimes, baseless sometimes, accusations and questions. And now the great apostle has come to... He sees the landing in sight. I, I, that, as a writer, if you've ever tried to write an article or some kind of argument or a paper or a book, you know... You're glad to see the runway. It's right there in front of Paul, and now he's excited. He's building. He's been holding it back, and now he's ready to burst out into this great worship. That's what we're reading, is worship. Did you hear it? 
When he got to the in the twinkling of an eye passage, I mean, you felt it, didn't you? He's, he's breaking forth. He's like the chains, the constraints, the answering questions, the, all the arguments, all the confusion. It's all fading away. The runway's in sight. And he's saying now in worship, thanks be to God who through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has defeated our greatest enemy. That, that's, that's the climax. And so, how did he get there? Remember, in the first few verses, he dealt with the gospel. You remember that? Way back in the first three, starting in verse 3, going through verse 11, he dealt with the facts of the gospel. We know that according to the Scripture, Christ was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect and sinless life. He died under Pontius Pilate. He was buried. And according to the Scripture, on the third day, he was raised up from the dead. And then he goes through the eyewitnesses to that account, building the foundation of the gospel. Building the foundation of the gospel. And then he moves on to answer the questions, which is, these questions are particular to Corinth, but they're also wide-ranging dealing with things you're dealing with right now. I called my father this morning <clears throat> for Father's Day. If you haven't called your dad today, call your dad. If you have that opportunity, call him. Whatever's going on in your life, as mad as he may be at you, as mad as you may be at him, as much as you may not think you love Him, call Him. Trust me, there are many gathered in this place who would want to call their fathers and talk with them. And this is a painful day for some. We need never forget it. There are people here who have lost their fathers recently. And so if you have the opportunity, do it. I called my dad this morning. I hadn't talked to him in a few weeks. He's busy with planting peanuts. And he, and after getting over the Father's Day uh, uh, talk, he said, what are you preaching on? So I started telling him. Man, I was preaching a whole sermon to him. And he said, well, but, and I'm not saying this in mock of my dad. I'm saying this is, this is the reality of what some of you are dealing with. But I didn't think we were going to be in physical bodies in eternity. We we're going to be spirits like God. I said, well, Jesus is in a body. Well, but he's God. God's a spirit. I said, yeah, I know, but. God the Son is forever in a body. Are you sure? Yeah. So I backed up and went through. At the end, we were both celebrating the fact that resurrection was coming. We got last week's sermon down about the cotton. We started talking about the cotton seed. It comes forth into a cotton plant. And there's a harvest that's coming. And we, and we had a good time. And what I, remi- what I was reminded of is some of you are still dealing with the same things my dad's dealing with. You're scared of the future. You don't know what it holds. And you're thinking, are we going to have physical bodies? Is this all there is to our body? Is it going to cease to exist? Are we going to be spirits? Are we going to join together in some cosmic union of all being gods? What's going to happen to us? And there's an answer. The Bible's not silent. And Paul answers it. He says, Christ was risen from the dead. And so if Christ isn't risen from the dead, we don't have hope. But if He is risen from the dead, then His specific resurrection will lead to what? Our general resurrection when we're given bodies like Him. Paul starts reasoning from the specific to the general. Then he says if there's a general resurrection, which we all know there is, he says. We know Christ was raised up from the dead. So he's built these arguments. He's answering these questions. But, but last week the whininess came out. But how is He going to do it? you remember? And then Paul said, you're a fool. He's had enough. You know? He's reached his limit. You need to get this. 
It's like the seed. You plant it, and what comes forth is like it, but not exactly. It's the fulfillment of the planting. That's what we're looking for. So when your body goes in the ground, is that body going to be raised? Yes. Is it going to be the same? No. It'll be in fulfillment of what the purpose was for planting. And so now he comes down to our passage. This is where we are today in this passage. Three things I want us to gather up from this passage. Three broad things come out very specifically. First of all, we're going to see that we must be made incorruptible, incorruptible to enter the kingdom of God. We're going to see that in verses 50 through 53. And then secondly, we're going to see that we are victorious in Christ. Verses 54 through 56. And then we're going to end with we must stand fast and labor for God's glory in verses 58. Okay? In verse 58. So that's where we're headed. That's where we're going. Now let's do it. We must be made incorruptible to enter the kingdom of God. Verses 50 through 53. It's very plain, isn't it? I tell you the truth. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. A, to the outline, if you're taking notes. Our corruptible flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Let's don't ever miss it. Let's don't ever look past it. It's important. What am I saying? I'm saying that right now we live in a shell of what we will one day be. We're not what we one day will be. We are flesh and blood corruptible right now. As a matter of fact, if you look back up in the passage, he described it three ways, right? Corruptible, perishable, and you say that's redundant. That's the same thing. No. It's not the same thing. Some of you shook your heads. No, that's not the same. You're right. Because perishing is dying, and that can happen at any point. That can happen right now to the youngest or to the oldest. I'm reminded of that when the friend calls with a SIDS case. SIDS, Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. The youngest among us can pass away from simply being laid on their tummy and they smother themselves in a blanket. And they can be gone. Poof! That quick. That's perishing. And that's a, a trait of our bodies. We are perishing. All of us. That's not tied to age. Corruptible is tied to age. Corruptible is the wearing out of the body. You feel me? If you're over 50, I'm not there yet. You tell me about it. Right? That's what my dad told me this morning. So I'm, I'm living off his experience. Well, I said, my dad said, yeah, man, you ate more every day. My knees hurt. My back hurts. I can't control my weight. I'm this. I'm that. I forget. I'm getting older. I got wrinkles where I didn't know you could have wrinkles. I'm corruptible. I'm, you feel it, don't you? We're corrupted. We're falling apart. That's something that's happening every second of every day. The outward tent, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, is wearing out. I don't have to convince you of that. What I have to tell you is, is what Paul said, is that body cannot inherit the eternal kingdom of God. It can't happen. can't happen. Now that's important because I've taught, and I still believe, that the kingdom is here. But these corruptible bodies are inheriting the kingdom. No. They're not inheriting the kingdom. Wait a minute. If the kingdom's here and we're in it, you might say, then what, what's with this text? There is, write this down, 
research it, think about it, the already and the not yet in the Scripture. What do I mean? The Scripture teaches us that the kingdom is already here. Jesus said the kingdom was coming when He came. And it came with Him. And He preached it to the people. It was inaugurated, we might say. It was begun. And it is spiritually happening now as people are grafted in through salvation into the church. The kingdom is becoming more prevalent all over the world. Already. But it's not yet. What I mean by that, I mean that physically we don't experience the kingdom right now at all. Ever. You're not going to wake up any day in this life and feel better than you did the day before in any real substantial lasting way. The effects of age are going to always take their toll and death's going to happen all around us because the already kingdom is not yet fully in view. We're waiting for it in some senses too. You see that? And that's what he's saying. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So anytime the kingdom comes, I'm left to extrapolate a little. Anytime the kingdom comes in fullness, fullness, physically, it is with us. Corruptible flesh cannot inherit that kingdom. In other words, whatever your belief about the kingdom might be, we have to hold to the biblical stance that corruptible flesh and incorruptible flesh will not inherit the same kingdom. It can't happen. We won't have dead, resurrected people living with not yet dead people who are still in the process of dying. That won't happen, Paul says, because flesh and blood cannot inherit the physical, the reality, the kingdom. What's got to happen, Paul? He's going to answer that question, and I want to answer it also as we continue. So, we're seeing in our outline that, first of all, the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. B, under that in our outline, we might say, is that this was a mystery until the time of Paul. So you can't go back to the Old Testament and clearly see, clearly see what Paul's teaching here. As a matter of fact, you can't go into Jesus' teaching and clearly see what the Apostle Paul is now telling us in 1 Corinthians 15. It's not new, but this is the clearest it has ever been put. This is the clearest text on resurrection bodies. This is it in all of the Bible. This is it. The mystery, he says. You see it? I tell you a mystery in verse 51. It was there in shadow, but it was not fully revealed until Paul wrote this, these verses. How this would work. So he goes on. See, in our outline we might say, the process of being made into the eternal state, the eternal body. How are we going to be made? First of all, under that sea, it is immediate. It's more than immediate. Whatever, whatever, uh, however God does it, which we talked about last week, we have no clue how He does it. The Bible doesn't tell us how He does it. The fact is, when you die, you go in the ground, your ashes and dust get eaten up by the grass and turned back into organic life and eaten by animals and molecules are scattered from here to all over the planet that belong to you. And somehow God's going to regather our old flesh and change it into something new. And I don't know how He's going to do it. So don't ask me. I don't know. But I do know it's immediate. It's going to happen quicker than that. 
It's going to happen in the twinkling, the jerking, the flash of an eye. And we see it's not only immediate, but it's worldwide among His people in that twinkling. In other words, it doesn't come in a process, in a stage. You see it? We shall, what? All be changed. Do you see that? We shall all be changed. Even the people who aren't dead are changed, and the people who are dead are changed. We're all changed in that moment. So it is immediate, but it is not a process. There won't be resurrected people and then still living believers who hadn't died yet who will change eventually. They're all changed immediately together. And we're told when it will happen. It will happen immediately. It will happen universally. All those in Christ everywhere, in every state, whether dead or alive, will be changed. When? At the trumpet. The trumpet. The last trumpet. Also in 1 Thessalonians, we're told this trumpet is accompanied by a cry of command from the angel. It's going to happen at the last trumpet, at the cry of command. All flesh will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And he doesn't talk about lost people in this passage, and that might bother you, but remember, his whole point here has been about believers, not about unbelievers. Will they be changed? Yes. Will they be resurrected? Yes. And we see that in other passages, but in our passage, Paul's focusing on believers and our change. And so, we all have to be changed. Our bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Secondly, we see... <clears throat> that we are victorious in Christ. I said, we, we are victorious in Christ. Christ has won a victory which is true today as it will be for eternity, but it is experienced at different levels now than it will be then. Did you get that? You are already a victor in Christ over sin. But the fullness of that has not occurred until the perishable puts on imperishable. Okay? So we don't have any room then for perfectionism. The teaching of some great theologians like John Wesley who said you will one day be able to reach a state of perfection in this life. No. Not until the perishable puts on imperishable will we be fully realizing the victory which we already possess because of Christ. Understand that distinction. It's not minutia. It's eternally important that you understand this. Some of you are captured by this low-level guilt constantly because you think you are not saved. And you base that on the way you acted just a minute ago. And you base your salvation on whether you sin today. You, you don't want to confess it out loud in your heart. Confess it right now. That's where a lot of you are. Be honest. When you struggle with sin, you're defeated because you believe, I can't be a Christian if I struggle with sin. That's not what Paul says at all. And that's not what he says in this passage. He says that the victory, the ultimate victory over death has been won. By who? Christ. And we experience it in some level, but not in its fullness. That's waiting the day of resurrection when we will have full, realized victory over sin and death. When the perishable puts on imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, 
Then shall come to pass the same. You got it? So some of you have lived in condemnation and guilt even after living a life and, and you're struggling right now and you think, God doesn't love me. I sinned this morning. I lusted this morning. I looked, I, I, I looked in anger at my children. I was frustrated with my wife. God doesn't love me. Your salvation is not based on that. Praise God. If it is, everybody in here is going to hell. Everybody's lost. So what is my validation? Thanks be to God. Look in the passage. What is the foundation for assurance of salvation? Thanks be to God. Who has defeated sin and death by who? Jesus Christ. Side note, but very important. When a person comes and says, I'm struggling, I just don't know if I'm a Christian. My first question is always, why are you uncertain? And I usually hear about whatever sin they just committed. Or the fact that they're not enjoying worship the way they once did. Or maybe they're not loving their wife as they should. Or they feel like they're just not committed enough. And all of it's subjective. Subjective. Some of you say, well, what's wrong with that? The problem is, is that's all sand. All of that stuff you just talked, I just talked about, you just went through in your mind is sand. If you build your house of confidence on that sand, the storms will rock and roll your house continually. So where do I build my life? I dig through my works. I dig through all the sin in my life to the bedrock of Christ. The objective fact that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, lived a sinless life fulfilling every point of the law, died bearing the wrath of God in my place, raised up from the dead, now seated at the right hand of the Father and pouring out His Spirit on His people, that objective fact is my confidence in salvation. Not my performance. And, and, and listen... We've been beating people up as religious people all our lives trying to make them get in line. What we need to say is, you aren't saved by getting in line. You aren't saved by staying in line. You are saved because He was in line. You are saved because He stayed in line. You are saved because you've been grafted into the root of Israel. And now your salvation is secure in Him and can never be taken away. No death rails to have you. It cannot. Because you're in the hand of the Father. Safe and secure. And this passage preaches it better than I could. How? Thanks be to God. Those words are all you need to know about assurance of salvation. When the flesh wars against you and Satan rails against you or one of his demons or just life circumstances buffet you, stand on the rock of the objective facts of the gospel and say, if this won't save me, I'm toast. Try it. Say it until you believe it. Pray it until God changes you. Don't leave there. Stay there. Well, 
But shouldn't you have them think about their life? Not about assurance of salvation. Not ever about assurance of salvation. Listen, when the perishable puts on imperishable and the immortal puts on immortal nature, we will be like him who, thanks be to God, defeated death and sin in our place. He fought the war we couldn't fight. He won the battle we would have lost and had lost. And so we have the victory in Christ. Now this specific quote that he has here, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Your victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? <coughs> comes from a combination of passages. Isaiah 25, 8. Hosea 13, 14. Combined in Paul's mind to make this taunt over sin and death. In other words, not a direct quote. He took two quotes and put them together and said, them here for us. Why? Because swallowing up in victory and stinging in death are what he was wanting to draw us to. Look what he says. The sting of death is sin. The sting of death is sin. The wages of sin is death, he says in Romans 6.23. Here he says the sting of death is sin. He's looking at the same thing. Why do we die? Because we're sinners. How did death get in the equation? Because of sin. Why does death hurt so much? Sin. Listen, when you stand over the bedside of a blessed saint of God and they pass in to His presence, don't ever be thinking that there's no sting in the world, there's just no sting for this person. Stand over the deathbed of a believer and watch them pass into him. And then stand over the bedside of a dying man. A, a dead man. A man without Christ. And watch him or her thrive about. Gasp hold on to all they know, and that's this life. And watch their family do the same. No hope. Why? Because death has a stinger, and the stinger is sin. He's using, the Bible's using, scorpion talk. They understood what a scorpion was. And what he's saying is, Christ, when a, the scorpion struck Christ, when he pulled out his tail, the stinger was in Christ. He now doesn't have it for anyone in Christ. Christ absorbed the sting. He absorbed the poison. He absorbed the stinger of Satan in death for the believer. He absorbed it. He took it for you and for me. And death is swallowed up in victory. We look back at the Lord hanging on the cross looking as if death is swallowing Him up. Like a lion seeking to devour its prey, Satan had come to the cross to devour our Lord. And the wrath of God and the buffeting of Satan was having its way and it was swallowing Him up. He looks to be gone when He says it's finished. Right? 
His lifeless body off the cross, buried literally in the mouth of a grave. And now Paul says, what? That is swallowed up in Him, in victory. The power of the Gospel is not that Christ avoided sin, death, and the grave. It's that He took the stinger of sin. It's that He took death. It's that He faced it head on, buried it in a grave, and was raised immortal. That's what Paul's saying with this quote here. He's drawing our attention to it. He's saying, there's coming a day when all flesh will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, it's going to happen. Dead or alive, you're going to be changed. And the greatest thing about that change is due to Christ. Because when He changes you that day, you will no longer be bound by death. And you will no longer experience sin because He took it on your behalf. We have victory in Christ. And finally, in this passage, in this passage, we must stand firm, fast, and labor for God's glory. It's not (coughs) that we've been saved and therefore there's no responsibility. There's responsibility. The final application of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that we labor for the glory of God. God. That's the final way. People who know about the resurrection labor for the glory of God. Look what he says. Therefore, based on what I've written to you now, in light of all I've said about the resurrection, stand firm. Stand firm. Steadfast. Right? Stand firm. Be steadfast. The idea here is of one who puts his hand to the plow and does not turn back. The idea here is not of a sprinter, but of a marathon runner. Be steadfast. Steadfast means putting the hand to the plow, not looking back, working, looking forward, straining to the goal as a marathon runner. Steady, plodding, steadfast. Same thing. Immovable. Not caught off guard. Not caught off balance by the blows that come against us. In other words, we're in a fight. We're in a a war. And Paul's saying, put your hand to the plow and labor. Don't look back. Listen to the plan of your captain and execute. Don't question it. Move forward steadily. And be ready and on guard with good balance because he's going to strike you. The enemy is going to strike you. Be immovable in those moments. Firm foundations. Not giddy and tossed about by every wind of doctrine about there not being a resurrection, about there being a higher spiritual life, about being escaping from physical... Don't get caught up in all that teaching. Stand fast. Be immovable. Don't be knocked off balance. Always abounding. Overflowing. Filled up to capacity and some. In the work of the Lord. Is that you? Be honest. Set aside everything else and answer it. Don't answer me, answer God. Am I steadfast? Hand the plow, looking to the goal, moving forward. Am I immovable? 
Good foundation, not being knocked to and fro by every fear and wondering out there. And overflowing with the work of the Lord. Is that the characteristic of my life? Answer it. I'm not just saying it. Answer it. No. Mostly no's. I see your head shaking. No, that's not me. And your head's dropped. And you're saying, here it comes. I'm a failure. I knew it. All this good stuff he was setting us up to tell us we're failures. Yes. I'm a failure. You're a failure. And thanks be to God who through Christ did not fail to swallow up death in sin. Do you get it now? The motivation is not earning my salvation. The motivation is I have a grand Savior who has won my victory, who has won my salvation, who has made possible my transformation into an immortal, imperishable, supernatural, everlasting flesh at His coming. And so therefore, I'm not moving forward in my works. It's by His grace. I'm not moving forward so that I might protect and guard myself. He guards me. I'm not moving forward in my work. I'm moving forward in His work. Do you see it? This is not a slam. This is a motivation. This is a, not a backhanded compliment. This is a front-handed offer. Take Christ and live a steadfast, immovable, abounding life. Take it. It's yours in Him. Don't you want it? Don't you want it? Some of you have been in church way too long. Because as I've preached, you've been bored with it, or you've been questioning it, or you've been trying to find another angle, or trying to see what we might have not covered. And all the while, you missed it. Fifty-eight verses, Paul wrote, so he could say this, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That was why he wrote everything he wrote. And you missed it. And you're enslaved. And all I'm saying is, His offer stands. Take Him. Take Him. It can't be that simple. Oh, but it is. It is that simple. Carl, there's got to be something i got to do. No. He can't take me like I am. i got, I got to clean up my act. No. i got to work harder, get some merit, then I can give it to Him. No. No, no, no. No, the gospel is, take it. I don't have any money. Good, because it's not sold at a price. I'm naked. Good, because he wants to clothe you. I'm thirsty. Good, because he has a spirit which is an abounding, fresh water supply that never fails. Come on. Do you see it? The beauty of the resurrection is that He has supplied all that is necessary and we are free in Him. I want us to know that. I want you to know it. I want to know it. And I want us to live that way. May we be 
May we be reminded constantly as we utter these commands of hard work to one another and give each other scowls of disapproval when we don't measure up. May we be reminded that we have one who's victorious. May we be people of thanks and not people of doom. May we be people who glory in nothing but Christ instead of our good works. May this be a congregation. It is my prayer that we be a congregation. That He is people not here about us, only about Him. And so I beg you, I plead with you, come to Him. Come to Him. Let's pray. Father.